that particular song. And uh, she says, I want that song at my funeral. And what a, what a great song. How great God is. And it's going to go right along with the message this morning that God has led me to. Outlines, there were outlines out there on the table. Anybody did not get those, there's a number. Josh, you want to pick those up and pass them to whomever? Uh, was Randy and uh, Allison and Becky came by this week and Randy commented, she says, I remember the outlines that you always gave us. I said, well, I'm preaching Sunday and you look for another one. This is where we plan to go, uh, Lord willing. And I put that in the emphasis of Lord willing, okay? Uh, good to be in the pulpit this morning. I appreciate the opportunity. Trust you're praying for Pastor and the group that are in Virginia this week on a marriage retreat. Trust that things will go well with that, and there'll be some marriages that are strengthened as, you, as they come back home, uh, some today, and I think some next Friday or whenever. Pastor preached a uh, Mother's Day message last week, appropriately so, being Mother's Day, and I want to finish that up this morning before I get into my message, okay? Uh, these are things that my mother taught me. So pay attention. I think your mother probably taught you some of the same stuff. My mother taught me to appreciate a job well done by saying, if you're going to kill each other, do it outside. I just finished cleaning the house. Okay, that was for me and my two brothers. My mother taught me religion. She says, you better pray that will come out of the carpet. <laughs> of course, then I got to thinking about this. We didn't have carpet when my mother was raising me. Uh, my mother taught me about time travel. If you don't straighten up, I'm going to knock you into the middle of next week. Ah. Uh, and, and by the way, she tried several times. <laughs> My mother taught me logic. Because I said so, that's why. My mother taught me uh, more logic. If you fall out of that swing and break your neck, you're not going to the store with me. My mother taught me foresight. Make sure you wear clean underwear in case we have an accident. <laughs> Bobby was raised by her Aunt Myrtle, and, and Bobby reminds me, he said, every time they would... Now, these are Alabama people living on top of Sand Mountain. And uh, Aunt Myrtle was very old-fashioned. She'd always tell Bobby, now, listen, we're going to town today. You be sure and put on clean underwear, good underwear, just in case, you know, we have an accident. My mother taught me irony. 
Keep crying, and I'll give you something to cry about. Uh, my mother taught me about the science of osmosis. Shut your mouth and eat your supper. <laughs> That's pretty hard to do. This story, uh, my son Joel, we were at Piedmont training, learning the Word of God. And he was probably about three, four years old. And Bobby had prepared sweet potatoes. And that kid looked at those sweet potatoes and he says, I'm not eating them. I don't like them. I said, Joel, you're going to eat those potatoes. He says, I'm not eating those potatoes and you're not going to make me. I said, you're going to eat those potatoes. And uh, we finally ended up round and round. I took him back to the bedroom and I did what a daddy's supposed to do with a defiant kid. I brought him back, sit him at the table. I said, now eat those potatoes. Big mistake. He ate them. And everything else he had eaten come right into the middle of his plate. <laughs> to this day, how old is Joel? He's 55, 56. He doesn't eat sweet potatoes. <laughs> that was a lesson that I failed in teaching that kid. But whatever. My mother taught me about uh, contortionism. Will you look at that dirt on the back of your neck? <laughs> That's a hard thing to do, isn't it? My mother taught me about stamina. You'll sit there until all that spinach is gone. Anyway, open your Bibles with me this morning to the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 1. And uh, I want to read the greatest words that were ever recorded in human history. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1, and I'm only going to read four words. And those four words are, in the beginning, God. Think about that. In the beginning, God. Let's pray. Father, I feel with this congregation, we could pronounce a benediction and go home. Because I look at my audience, and they know, they know the reality of these four words. They know the reality of a sovereign, supreme being, God. Many names that we could learn and talk about throughout the scriptures. But yet, God, Elohim, here, in the beginning, Elohim, and then to go on to Yahweh, Adonai, and on and on and on, just descriptive names of the power and the person of pure holiness, righteousness, not one flaw in your being. Thank you, Father. There's another name, Father. You captivate our mind 
hearts with your being. And we know that your being is too deep, too broad for us to grasp the entirety of the introduction of the greatest book, the theme, the content, God. Help us today to worship you. Help us today to understand a little bit more about the God that we don't understand and then at the same time we do understand. Help us, Father. In the name of Jesus Christ, your Son. Amen. They are, these words are, are factual. And yet, the content is, is too broad for the human mind. The redeemed human mind to comprehend. Sometimes I, I like to just pull these four words up and sit in quietness. And I believe these words, the name God, it, it quietens the soul for us just to try to grasp a little bit of what this is all about. These four words are, are far-fetched. They're filled with controversy that is too mystical to understand. The agnostic and the atheist refuse to believe these four words. And thank God for apologetics and those people who are able to stand and defend scripturally, logically, in many aspects, these four words. So whether as a believer... You and I, we just try to get to the comprehension of the being that we're talking about, or whether the non-believer that just throws these words out. I heard a good story yesterday, and I want to move along as well as I can because there's so much. got a telephone call yesterday morning. I actually got a text yesterday morning from many of you know him, Bill Sweeney. Uh, Bill said, uh, I want to drop in and visit with you and Miss Bobby. And you know, Bill's a pastor in West Virginia. He was with us Air Force for 15 years, right here in this congregation. And so anyway, Bill told me the story. Uh, I assumed he was in West Virginia, but come to find out, he's sitting in a barber's chair when he sent the text. I texted him right back, be good for you to come by. He's sitting in a barber's chair, Seymour Johnson getting his hair cut. So anyway, we said, come by. He told me this story of one of some of Mary, his wife's kinfolk. Uh, what was the young man's name? I want to say it was Dennis, maybe not Dennis, but this old man, forgive me of not keeping things in the brain too long. But he said, this young man was... Claimed to be an atheist. 
26 years old. He and Mary had sat up one morning till 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning, just discussing, no doubt debating. And uh, he was a free soul. Had an old van. He'd converted. He'd put him a bed in the van. Had quit his job and was going to just make a trip wherever that van would take him. He left Bill's house for Texas. Bill had given him the gospel, had, had done the best of the arguing you could about who God is, who the Lord Jesus Christ, the, the grace of God, the gospel of the death, burial, resurrection. And this kid said, don't believe it, don't want no part of it. Well, this young man made his trip to Texas. And it was on the way back in uh, Little Rock, Arkansas. That van put him down by the side of the road. Bill says, I got a call from him. He says, I'm broke down. I don't know what to do. I don't have any money. But sitting there beside the road... He says, I called out to God, forgive me, I want Jesus Christ. And something's happened to me, he said. He said, all of a sudden, everything within me changed. Bill said, well, he asked Bill, says, what has happened? Bill explained to him, Christ moved into your heart and into your life. What, a, what an exchange. Bill made it possible for him. He sold his old ragged vehicle for $400 scrap. Bill got him a U-Haul truck so he could put his belongings in the truck, and they're back in West Virginia. And Bill's anxious to take time now and help this young man who the week before professed to be an atheist, 26 years old. Well, things like that happen in West Virginia. That's, that's common there, so we can understand that. Not really. I, we've got some West Virginians here, and I have, to, I have to tease them every once in a while. But understand something. Both groups of which I'm speaking, the believers, agnostics, atheists, both groups, they have a reckoning one day. If you're here and you're in Christ, there's a reckoning day coming. If you're here and you say, that's foolishness. In the beginning, God, I don't believe that. Well, it doesn't matter what you believe. The one of whom this, these words pertain is sovereign. And all accounts will come down at one point directly to one place or the other in the accounting. Of course, believers will stand before the Lord Jesus Christ at the Bema seat. Some people call it judgment. I call it evaluation. Judgment is past. Uh, to me, that word is just a little strong because Scripture tells us that 
You and I are going to, to give an account. Let me read the text, 2 Corinthians 5.10. For we, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, talking about Christians, so that each one may receive what is due. That's an evaluation of your Christian life. What you did after you became a believer may receive what is due us, now listen to this, for the things done while we were in the body, whether good or bad. So your Christian life is going to come under the scrutiny of God. You will receive a reward, things due, or you will lose a reward. Believers, what about the agnostic, the the atheists, they too will stand before God at a different, a different tribunal and they'll give account for the evil works that they did in unbelief. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 20, verses 11 and 12, John writing, he says, I saw a great white throne and the one God, one, capital O-N-E, seated on it. Earth and heaven fled from His presence, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and there were open books. And one of them was the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their deeds as recorded in the books. So God has a set of books in heaven. Everything that is transpiring here, God knows. It's recorded for our imagination, our imagery. That's the best thing we can do. So just, just imagine every evil thing that has taken place on the face of the earth, and in, I'm talking now about the unsaved standing before God at the great white throne judgment. Here comes a man named Hitler. Wow. Think about that. Here comes the people who believe in Planned Parenthood. Think about that. That's reality. In the beginning, God. All will appear before Him. Each person, me standing, you sitting, each one will stand at one or the other of those tribunals. Every human being. For from Genesis chapter 1, those four words move on into the act or the fact of creation. God created. God created. God created. And ultimately, it was man in his own image. So let's explore from the pages of Scripture, which God Himself inspired. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God 
and is profitable. Doctrine, reproof, correction. That the man of God may be, may be taught, understood, discipled, equipped thoroughly for all good works. You see, God not only reveals himself, he gives us his revelation. The scriptures, it's the inspired word of God. So let's, let's explore just a, a little while this morning as believers. And I'm, I'm, dress, I'm addressing you, the congregation that sits here. I'm addressing you as Christians, presumably. Someone may not be a believer that's in the audience today. And if you're not, what better day today than this 26-year-old Virginian kid whom God stranded and put him beside the road that he remembered just a week or so before this deep conversation that he'd had about his soul and cried out, God, forgive me. Christ, save me. And brought him back home. So may we... May we understand not just his creative powers of mankind, but my intent for us today is to know him better, to experience him deeper, and leave here with an attitude of worship. When we read these words, our, our minds, our souls, our spirit ought to click in to an attitude of worship for you and I. Now, the, the, the world, no, that's different for them. So I want you to see with me, first of all, this morning, that God is knowable, and at the same time, He's unknowable. Is that a paradox? He's knowable. And at the same time, he is unknowable. You ever have, uh, at the same time, you know something and you don't know something? Well, if you haven't, just wait till you're 81. Okay? And you'll have a lot of those. You don't have to be 81. But you know something and you don't know something, and then there's the aha moment. That's what, this, that's what God is. God, every day, it should be an aha moment for you. Deeper insight. Maybe in your Bible study. Aha! It might be in your quiet time. When you, just you and God are sitting there. This one that I just that the Bible introduces, I didn't introduce him, the Bible introduced him in the beginning, God. Sitting there in your quiet time, and aha, I've read this text. Some of you may have read the Bible 40, 50 times through. And every day there's that aha moment. All of a sudden you see something that you never 
saw before. You see, this is how God works. All of a sudden, we'll become honest with ourselves about a truth. Never saw that before. We will humble ourselves before God about this truth. And then, all of a sudden, the desire begins to burn inside of you. I want to know this truth. I mean, you may have known it before, but you really didn't know it. That's how God is. That's how the Scriptures are. So let's, what about the capability of the knowledge of God? Here's a good quote from Ryrie. Ryrie died not too long ago, maybe last year sometimes. He was well in his 90s when he died. He wrote a uh, complete systematic theology book. And it, it's not heavy like a lot of theology books are. And it's good for probably most of the Christians sitting in a pew. He does a great job with it. He doesn't go out on a limb in a lot of areas that so many theologians do as how many angels can sit on the head of a needle and some of those things. But he has this quote. Find it here. The knowledge of God is desirable, but, it is, in, but is it possible? Question, is it possible? Scriptures attest to two facts. The incomprehensibility of God and the knowability of God. To say that He is incomp incomprehensible is to assert that the mind cannot grasp the knowledge of God. To say that He is knowable is to claim that He can be known. Both are true. Two Look at the fact that he's incomprehensible to the mind, and then at the same time, he is knowable to the mind. Both are true, though neither is an absolute, neither is in an absolute sense. Think of that. You know Christ, you know God, you know, you know of the Holy Spirit, but do you know everything there is to know? No, you do not know everything there is to know. And then at the same time, you know what you know. That's progressive growth from a baby in Christ, a babe in Christ, to maturity in Christ. And no one, this side of heaven, will attain that element of maturity. There are a lot of babies that go to heaven. I'm not talking about in birth. I'm talking about people who made professions of faith as children, but at 80 years old are still babies in Christ. That's not God's intent for any one of us. They just know the little elements. They, they're like my great-grandson, Jack, they brought him to the house the other day. He's three years old, three months old, excuse me, three months old. First time I've heard that baby cry. But you know why he cried? 
He was hungry. He's a good baby. They stuck a bottle in his mouth. He got his belly full. And all of a sudden, the coos came out again. Crying went away. Changed his diaper, and he was even happier after that. But to say that God is incomprehensible, continuing this thought, to say that God is incomprehensible is to say that man cannot know everything about God. To say that he is knowable is not to assert that man can know everything about God. So how does this work? Well, first of all, the inability to know God. He is incomprehensible. I'll just read scripture for you. Job, Job's friend Zophar, had this to say to Job, Job eleven seven. He says, Can you fathom the depth of the things of God or discover the limits of the Almighty? Think about that question. Job, you claim to be a righteous man, Zophar is saying. Job, can you fathom the depths of the things, the deep things of God? Can you discover the limits of the Almighty? If I ask you that question, you would do probably in the end of the book of Job, what Job did, God revealed some things in the last chapters of the book of Job, and Job shut his mouth. Nothing else Job could say. End of discussion. Job had a progressive sanctification moment. Progressive knowledge of God. And Job shut up. So the inability to know God. God is incomprehensible. But what about the ability to know God? He is comprehensible. Both are true. At the very same time. Listen to what Jesus had to say in John chapter 17, 1 through 3. Jesus spoke these words, envisioned this. Uh, John 17 is the prayer of Jesus. He's going to be crucified next morning and he's praying. He spoke these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son also may glorify you. As you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him, and this is eternal life, now catch these next words, that they may know you. You can comprehend who God is. And Jesus prayed that. And he concluded that phase of his prayer with these words. The only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent you see, you can know God. That word know there is to know uh, through personal experience.
through personal encounter. That's these aha moments. All of a sudden, God shows you something that you know is to know from the standpoint of having first a first-hand acquaintance with the one whom you, whom you are interacting with, God. And that's what Jesus is saying here. here. Those that you've given me, they may know you, Father. They may know you. So we do have the ability to know God. God can be, and He is comprehensible. Now, we see that this is the, conf the conflicting difference between those who know and those who do not know. A Christian can know God, and yet you don't know everything about God. You're learning constantly. But there's a conflict between the believer and what he knows and the unsaved person and what they can't know. There's a major difference there. The natural man, the unsaved man, and there is an error in your notes there. Make that 1 Corinthians rather than 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14. Here's what the unsaved person cannot know. Passage says, But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. The unsaved person, the natural man, is, a, is an unsaved man. That's what Paul is talking about here. One who has never come to Christ, one who has no interest in God, and Paul emphatically writes here, he does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. He says these things to that man, they are foolishness to him. So that's why if you're talking with an unsaved person and they blow you off, they don't have any idea what you're talking about. They say, that's just goody-goody stuff. And I don't believe in that kind of stuff. They don't believe in that kind of stuff. And they do not know this stuff at all. Scripture says, nor can he know them. The word know there is the connotation of this word, different word. They cannot come to recognize the things that you are capable of recognizing. So the natural man needs to be like this young man that Bill Sweeney had the opportunity to talk to for till 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning and a week later him have that aha moment for truth that all of a sudden he knew Christ. And apart from the work of the Holy Spirit no one will know Christ. That's another subject altogether. He cannot recognize, he cannot proceed. Now, the believing man, 1 Corinthians continuing to 15 and 16, the believer, Paul writes, those who are spiritual can evaluate. The word there, simply, 
they can examine, they can investigate. The Christian has the ability to discern, but they themselves cannot be evaluated by others. And 16, he writes, for who can know, the word know here, who can come to know the Lord's thoughts? Who can? Believers. So there's a major difference in these two verses back to back. The unsaved man does not, cannot, will not, unless the work of the Holy Spirit, after he has heard Romans chapter where is it? Ten. How shall they hear unless somebody goes to tell them, to proclaim to them, simple message, Jesus saves. And the message goes further. So they must hear. They cannot know. The Spirit of God quickens that word, that soul. And as we say, they are regenerated. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us. Listen. By the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit took what Bill and Mary had talked to this young man about. And He had this guy hemmed in in Arkansas beside the road with a vehicle that would move no further and all of a sudden the Spirit of God. You remember that conversation? That long conversation you had back with your cousin in West Virginia? Forgive me, God. I received Christ. The Gospel made sense. But until the Holy Spirit is at work, until, wait, let me preface that. Until your witness is clear, Jesus saves, and the Holy Spirit works, that natural man will not, cannot understand. That's why it is so important where Jesus says, all authority is given to me under heaven, earth. Make disciples. Make disciples. Teach them. Train them. Win people to Christ. So, beloved, we can know God and at the same time not go to the depths of God. Let's notice, secondly, that God is accessible to us. And uh, at times, He seems to be inaccessible to us. That happens in the life of Christians. The accessibility of God, the psalmist wrote, Psalm 46, verse 1, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help, in the time of need. I'm going to throw a little NLT at you in this passage of Scripture. It says, God is our refuge and strength, always ready to help, 
in a time of need. God's accessible. What problem are you going through? Christians, you can know Him. And He is accessible to you. He's accessible to me in whatever circumstance I find myself in. I think of the circumstance of the Apostle Paul. Paul says, I have learned, experience, that whatever state I'm in, they're in to be content. Now he wrote that when he had a pocket full of money and it was free to go wherever he was. No, you know better than that. He wrote that in a jail cell, being incarcerated for the name of Christ. I find that in this circumstance, I'm content. Wow. Psalm 138, verse 3. The accessibility of God. On the day I called, you answered me. You emboldened me and strengthened my soul. God is ready. The very day that we call, psalmist said, you answered me, you emboldened me, and you strengthened my soul. So many passages. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 7. For what nation is great enough to have a God as near to them as the Lord? And that word Lord is uppercase, L uppercase O, uppercase R, uppercase D. Yahweh, Jehovah. A title for God that is totally incomprehensible to its depth. But yet I can sit down and I can worship in my city. What nation is great enough to have a God little g-o-d, as near to them as the Lord, our God, capital G-o-d. Look around at the nations that are around us today. And yet God chose. We cannot say that he has a covenant with America, but America has surely been under the blessings of God. What does tomorrow hold? It's incomprehensible. I don't know. I can be a prognosticator, but I don't know. My duty is to what I do know. Scripture tells me to pray for those who are in authority. Are you praying for President Biden? Do you pray for Vice President Harris? Do you pray for Chuck Schumer? He's a, he's a Jewish man. You pray for him? Do you pray for Nancy Pelosi? You're supposed to. I'm afraid sometimes I pray the imprecatory prayers. You know what an imprecatory prayer is? It's what David prayed often in the song. It's God kill them. 
But that's not. Our heart ought to be a broken heart. For what nation is great enough, talking about the nations around Israel at that time, what nation is great enough to have a little G-O-D as near to them as the Lord, our capital G-O-D? No nation. No nation. As it is, and all we have to do is call unto Him. So put that in your personal life. Deuteronomy goes on to talk about them taking the image, uh, a piece of wood, and carving it into an idol. And they say, that's my God. That's the God of the nations. He is accessible, and then at times he seems to be inaccessible to us. Isaiah 55, 6 and 7, Isaiah says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Does that indicate that sometimes he can't be found? Seek him while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. He goes on, Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Rather, you do this, you forsake your way, you forsake your thoughts, and the text continues, let the wicked, for, excuse me, let him return to the Lord, the believers, and he will have mercy on him, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. You know, there's always a debate. Can we have revival? I say yes and no. Yes, if believers would forsake their way, would stop pursuing the unrighteous thoughts that we so often are plagued by, and if we would do the positive, return to the Lord, and what would happen, the text says, He will have mercy on us. If that happens, yes, there will be revival. If it doesn't happen, there won't be a pardon. Now, for myself, I... I have no fear for myself, but what about little Jack that I just mentioned? Three-month-old grandson. That's my concern. What is America going to look like when that little guy is 10 years old, 20 years old, 40 years old? If Jesus doesn't come. That's why many times I'll end my prayer as John ended the book of the Revelation. Even so, 
Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Come quickly. You see, beloved, God at times seems to be inaccessible to us. What are some of the factors? Well, you don't seek Him. I'm guilty of that. I'm a fix-it person. If it's broke, grab a hold of it and fix it till I have unfixed it that it can never be fixed again. When I should just stop and say, Lord, and I'm not talking about things. Discussion just the other day with uh, my children, in-laws, their, their, their marriage uh, partners, and Bobby and myself, and they're fussing at Daddy. Why don't you call us? I said, because I'm a fix-it person. I'm going to do it first until I realize I can't do it. I didn't say it in that tone. I felt like it. <laughs> I got the best letter. Most of you know Bine and Bobby's situation. Hospice has come in and they're doing a great job. My, my, my daughter-in-law is sitting with Bobby this morning. Uh, she should be in church, right? No. Well, they were supposed to be in church in their church this morning. My son is in church. But pray for Cindy. She had a deep, deep cancer on her nose. And they took that thing off. She came in a Friday afternoon with a bandage on her nose and both eyes just black. So she didn't want to go out in public like that and I wouldn't want to claim her as my sister-in-law, I mean my daughter-in-law, if she went out in public like that. They'd think she'd been drunk and fighting something, but, uh, but not so. So she said, I'll go sit with Bobby this morning so you go to church and preach. I appreciate that. But anyway, back to the letter. Some of you know the gentleman. Uh, I won't call a name. He was actually a charter member of this church and while Fred was here, uh, he and his wife departed the church. But anyhow, his wife came down with dementia and physical problems in 2012. She died in 2016. Uh, Linwood and I came, just bumped into each other. I, Bobby, I go to the store, she says, where you been? I said, been doing visitation down at Food Lion. You know, you run into folk down there, and you just got to take a few minutes, and you talk, and that's the right thing to do. But I just bumped into Linwood, and he asked me how Bobby, he knows our situation. He asked me how Bobby's doing. I said, she's not doing well. And about a week later, I got a letter from Linwood about his situation that he'd run in with his wife. And uh, in that letter, he said, we had hospice come in. We had others come in and tell me, why don't you go when you can? Get out of the house. Get out from under this pressure. And uh, he used the word, his covenant of marriage. And I appreciated that. He says, I didn't want to go. 
When hospice came, I stayed. When friends offered for me to sit, I stayed. Because I made a commitment to the covenant of my marriage. And I don't regret one moment of it was somewhat of his summation. Well, my kids after me, get out. Dad, go. Go. And I, one by one, I got three kids, I handed that letter to each one of them. I said, now read that. He said what I'm not able to say to you. It's not words that uh, they wanted to hear. And, and hey, they will do what they said they will do. And I praise the Lord for these good kids. But uh, God is inaccessible when we don't seek Him. God is inaccessible when our faith is weak. Jeremiah 33, 3, he says, Call to me, and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. Faith, weak, call. I'll show you things. You don't know them yet, but you can know them. Your prayer life is in shambles. James chapter 1, 4, verses 1 through 4. Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? You lust and you do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. And everything around us is just going crazy. You ask and you do not receive because you ask amiss. You ask with the wrong motives that you might spend it on your own pleasure. God's not, He's inaccessible sometimes because we've lost the sense of His presence. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5. Scripture says, Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. The Berean version of that. God has said, I'll never leave you. But he is not there because we've lost the sense of his presence. We should live in the sense that God is present at all times. God is accessible when you're not. Understand that. He said to Adam, where are you, Adam? Where are you? You might be pursuing your own interest and have forgotten about God's will, God's work, God's way. God might be saying, where are you? Where are you? He knows where you are. He knew where Adam was. He just wanted Adam to admit it. He knows where you are. And if you're not in fellowship with God and with the church, with God's people, he wants you to come to that place of unity and oneness that we have in in the beginning.
God. Christ that we have with Him. God is accessible when you're weak, troubled. He's ready to be right there with you. I want to finish this morning with a little different tack. I want to finish with uh, my God. My God, He has been accessible to me on every turn. Even when I wasn't seeking Him. Just several things. My call. I could say with Paul, I know whom I have believed. I couldn't always say that. But the older I get, the more experience that I've had in Scripture and with God's people. My call is to my family my wife and my children and my God. They're equal. God gave me my salvation. He gave me His Son. And so, way back, at the age of 24, I turned things around. God turned things around. I was selfish, What I wanted, I got. Until that morning. Well, a new church started in town, actually. And by the way, the first pastor of this church was my pastor in South Carolina many years ago. And a new church started. And God began to do a work in my heart. God called me one morning, one Saturday morning, to ministry, doing my quiet time. Hadn't done it for years prior to that, eight years of marriage now at this point. But hearing the Word of God and getting my heart tuned, God called me to ministry, called me to preach the Word of God. Ephesians chapter 4. He gave to the church evangelist pastor teachers for this generation. And I answered that call. That call to me was a call to education as well. Learn something. Can remember too many of my professors saying, Some guys just stand up and say, God fill my mouth. No, it doesn't work that way. Now, I'm not saying you have to have all of the degrees and everything, by no means, because some of the better preachers have been men who didn't have a formal education. But I knew me. I needed to know something, I needed to learn something, get an education. Needed something to say from illiteracy to some literacy. 
the Bible school that we went into, I think there was about 120 of us, freshman class. Everybody takes an exam going in. Bible exam. One poor guy scored lower than me. I was next to last. I knew, I didn't know anything. I was illiterate when it came to the scriptures. Going out, you take a Bible exam. But anyway, going out, I was sitting with my professor who was my advisor. He looked at me, graduation time, and he says, I never, when we saw these scores five years ago, we never thought you'd be here. And by the way, the guy who scored less than I did wasn't there. He didn't last into the first semester. Know yourself, what you need, prepare yourself for what God is calling you to do. Young people, older people, whomever you are. I don't regret that. I took a wife and two children to school. 1965, worked every weekend for five years. When I graduated, the school owed me $44. That doesn't happen. God will pay the bills. Long story there. Then God called me to pastor. Pastor's job is to shepherd the hearts of the sheep. Changed my heart from a self-centered man to one who had a love and a mind, a shepherd's mind. And I thank God for my first church. Probably the, the average age of my first church would have been somewhere around 60 to 70 years old. I was 30. But you know those old saints taught me something. There was unity in the church. They loved God. They loved each other. And they helped finish my education. Pastored them for nine and a half years. This is a side story. I went in and I sat with another professor of mine who knew that church. He had uh, done interim work in that church. I said, uh, the church has called me to become their pastor. What should I do? And this was a godly man that I was seeking counsel from, and he gave me these words. Go, learn to preach, give them a year, and go find yourself a church. My mouth flew open. I watched that church blossom. Nine and a half years, God called us down here to this church. Those kids who were kids then, they're now in their late 50s and 60s, they still call. That's the work of God. If we are accessible to Him. And then He called me to, to teach. 
Wolby, W-O-L-B-I, Word of Life Bible Institute, 2007. I had the opportunity to go as a guest lecturer to the Philippines. Word of Life Bible Institute. I still remember it. I'm standing there on a Saturday night. John Fogle, one of the, he was the academic dean of, of Wolby. He came and myself and another pastor who had been there for two weeks teaching. He said, we're praying about a retired pastor to come and give us two years with these young preacher boys and Bible women. And I said at that time, I'm not retired, but I will pray about it. 27 years had been completed at this ministry at that time. And I sensed that something, something is stirring. More stories with that. Came home and the director of Word of Life, uh, the field of Philippines, was at home. And he and his wife, they were on furlough. They came by. My kids came in. We talked. And we felt like it would be a good fit. But there were some conditions. I was going to have to raise $15,000 for a house in the Philippines. I was going to have to have personal support for us to be sustained in the Philippines. My daughter, false scrapyard, auto salvage, and uh, another lady who was involved very close in the work, they said, you know, we've put up $10,000 and we need to, for missions <coughs> and we need to spend it. Well, what better place than to give $10,000 toward fifteen? My son said, I've got the other five. And within a week, $15,000 for my part in a duplex that was built and we, it was brand new and we moved into it in, 2000, in May 2008. There were five pastor friends of mine. They said, we've got you covered. We'll support you while you're there. Does God do things that are impossible sometimes? Wayne Christian School, which I had been instrumental in its inception, gave us $5,000. Another $5,000 to buy an automobile when we got there. And what God did in those two years, I'm still rejoicing. I taught two, two, two uh, tracks in, in the Bible Institute, SBS, School of uh, Biblical Studies. SBS, school, that's this your first year program. They have a four-year program in the Philippines. They only have a two-year program here in the States. 
SMS, School of Ministerial Studies. And that was the concentration that I worked with. Things pastors don't do. All the gamut of systematic theology, pastoral theology, homiletics, uh, expository preaching. Pastors don't teach those things. Were thrown at me. And I, to this day, don't know how we got through all of that, but that's not the point. The point is, I had, in those two years... In SMS, I also taught in SBS, there's about 30 students, 30 to 35 students in the first year class. And there's usually a dozen to 15 in the programs going forward. We had the opportunity to develop a relationship with these young guys. Jonas is a pastor. I'm in touch with Jonas still. Paul is a missionary in Thailand. I'm supporting Thailand. I'm supporting Paul. Not big, just a little something. Jerry Ordania. Jerry pastored a while. You'll know this name. Jerry is the evangelist for Tim Tebow's dad in the Philippines. Jerry Fay. Jerry Fay is on staff at Word of Life Camp. J.J. Burnaby. Ivan. They're full-time ministry. Christy, one of the girls. Christy is from Baguio. If you want to retire in the Philippines, go to Baguio. Beautiful. Vegetables like you've never seen. Temperature is cool. In Baguio's, in the mountains. Christy. I get pictures from Christy. She's walking through the mountains. These trails just to get back to a little house back there. Where she's sharing the word of God and discipling people. Another student, Abigail. Abigail has a degree. She's an electrical engineer. She's a little girl, stands about that tall. Wanting to know, wanting to go. That was, I don't, I don't talk about those things. But the, the camp staff, Bobby, her call as a wife and a mother. That's all she ever wanted to be. And God's going to say to her, well done. Good and faithful servant. We have a picture on the wall. Well, there was one taken out there at her 80th birthday. But the family. Every one of them going to heaven. Every one of them. Wife and a mother. Supporter of a family. If I want to get on outs with my wife, and I'm giving you warning too. If you ever know something bad about one of her grandchildren, don't say it. 
Because you're going to have an argument and a fight on your hands. That, that includes me. Okay? She's a counselor. She's a counselor because of her experience. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses uh, 3 through 5. And the things that thou hast learned from me. Not, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. The comfort that you've received from the Lord. Because of the things, I'm paraphrasing, because of the things that you went through in life, those are the things that God will use in the lives of many other people. And of course, I don't have time to go to all of that, but Bobby was dropped off at her aunt's house, mountains, mountains of Alabama, age of five, raised by an aunt and an uncle, given away, and that's the concept, until the Lord changed all of that thinking within her mind. And how, how many times God has used her out of her experiences. She's not with us today, but I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just take a moment. And I don't have time to really expound on these, but this is from Bams, Bambi, and Jez from the Philippines. Hi, A.T. Bobby. We're praying for you and Sardine and the rest of your family. Thank you for being a part of my life. Thank you for taking time to counsel me during your time here in the Philippines. I'll never forget you and the, and the impact you did to me. I'm doing as well to other ladies here at camp and at church, counseling, mentoring, encouraging, praying, and helping them to come up with the right godly decisions Thank you also for setting an example of a humble and loving wife to Sardine. It's an example that I pray I can follow. I love you, A.T. Bobby. How I wish I could hug you right now. But we'll hug tight in the glad, glad reunion someday. Love you. This young lady wanted to be a missionary, and a quick story short, these Filipino boys, they, they don't date in the Philippines. These Christians don't. But the boy likes the girl, and he says, he tells, I'm praying for you. What he means is, I'm praying for you to be my wife. Jez was praying for Bambi to be his wife. And Bambi was praying to be a missionary, and she did go to Thailand. And God closed the door and she had to come back. And Bobby convinced her, counseled her. Be a good thing to just be a godly wife. And they were missionaries for a while. But now these two have three beautiful little children. A.T. Bobby. This is from Avelina and J.M. Avelina says, thank you for the sweet memories. Those were very good times for us. We grew in the Lord along with you and felt so blessed by the Lord for allowing us to be a part of the ministry there and your personal lives as well. We love all of you so much. This is Avelina. She was secretary in Wobie. J.M., her husband, was a student. 
He's finishing his master's degree and he's teaching the classes I taught in that time. This is from uh, Grace Gonzalez. Hi, ma'am, buddy. How are you? Thank you for your testimony of grace and faithfulness. Will not forget your wise counsel and the love you have shown me and Roy when we were starting our family. You have surely shown God's love, gentleness, and joy. I miss you, ma'am. Appreciate your prayers for us. We pray for you. We love you. Grace and Roy. Roy is second. He's Filipino. This Filipino couple. He is uh, the assistant director of Word of Life Philippines. When we got there, Grace and Roy, a young couple, they just had their first child. And I'd bought an automobile and I looked and I saw them get on public transportation. That's what they had. Public transportation is a motorcycle with a little sidecar and you pay 20 pesos to go out to the end of the road. End of the road, you get on the bus and you go. They were taking that little child to the doctor. Bobby and I looked at them. We looked at our car. Now, Roy is a, is a graduate. He has an engineering degree. Not using it there in that. We said, take my car. And what a relationship this developed with Roy and Grace over the years. Faithful man of God, faithful woman of God, Grace. Luann Pronto. She's the wife of the... Uh, she's, a, she's a college professor, and she also... Her husband is over all that's been built. Uh, you would not believe that what, what's been built in the Philippines. This guy, her husband, built. He's the supervisor over it all. Luann writes, Hi, ma'am, buddy. I praise the Lord for your life. You've given me a good example on how to support my husband in obeying the Lord. Both you and Pastor Dean has, has greatly blessed us, and I still keep the pretty skirts that you have given me. Ha ha. Kyla and Kyle, two children, are growing fast. They still remember both of you. Your house here is still uh, yours in memory. Life is such a great blessing. I praise the Lord for having you as part of my life. We love you, Ma'am Bobby. Warm hugs from the Prontos in the Philippines. Well, what did, how did Bobby affect this lady? You know, the Philippines is a family-oriented culture. Her dad was ill on another island. And she came to Bobby, what should I do? We will resign the ministry. We will resign from here. And uh, give up what we're doing here and go take care of Daddy. Bobby counseled Luann. Luann, you've got two beautiful kids. You want to put these kids in a secular when you've got a perfect environment for these kids to grow up in. You're giving up a ministry. 
You're taking your husband out of his ministry. Hard decision. These are poor people. They stayed. They're still there today. Counsel for my wife. I've got others here. I see my time is gone. Maybe just one more. This one from Ziza. How would you like to have a name spelled XY-ZA? Now, even pronounce that. Ziza. Ziza was a student. Ziza says, Hi, ma'am, buddy. I want to thank the Lord for your life and ministry to us, to me personally. It's a joy looking back on the memories we have of you and Sir Dean eating at your house, talking and listening to how God has worked in your life and your family. I'm truly blessed by your gentleness of heart and care for all of us. I'm beyond words on how grateful I am to the Lord for you. Ziza is a bookkeeper. She's part of the bookkeeping staff, Word of Life, Philippines. I used to tease Ziza. I asked her one time in class, Ziza, if you were not here in the BI, what would you want to be? She said, I want to be a lawyer. But she had the intelligence to do it, too. So from then on, I call her my lawyer. Anytime I get in trouble in the Philippines, I'm going to call Ziza. What more can I say? I want to say it like the Filipinos taught me to say it. You know, we say, well, we give the glory to God. They say it. I give back all the glory to God. Throw that little word back in there. I give back all the glory to God. The conclusion is, in the beginning, God. In between is God. And in the end, God. Amen? Stand with me. And let's pray together the Lord's Prayer. Pray with me. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us of all our trespasses and lead us not into temptation. Excuse me. Help me there. Lead us not into temptation. Thine is the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Thank you for being in the Lord's house. Thank you for just enduring some thoughts that I wanted to bring to you. Not just the personal thoughts, but understand God is accessible if you are. You hear me?
God is accessible if you are. We're dismissed. <laughs>